Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode, oh my gosh, these numbers, 189 of Market Sarah Talk About Songs. I'm the Sarah in that equation, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here, as always, with the fandiferous Mark Blankenship. Hey, Mark. Hello. I'm so excited to say that we've got us a British singer to talk about today. And this is a... <laughs> it's me, Teddy Rooksman. Have you missed me? I feel like it's been a while, but what was happening was I was driving a handsome cab and I got lost for six years out there in the bogs, but I'm back now. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that in Scotland? You really yeah, were lost. You know what? Fuck off with your geography. You know, I'm tired of being told where to go. All right, Teddy, go, go, drink, go walk it off. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. The quarantine is making Teddy a it's little It's like, crazy. speaking of scotch, um, Mark, who are we contemplating today? Okay, so you may have heard me in previous episodes bring up a singer named Yola, Y-O-L-A. She is a, uh, she's a British singer-songwriter who works in a lot of different genres uh, almost simultaneously. Her music is influenced by country, R&B, and a very majestic 60s style uh, chamber orchestra pop. Um, I first heard her because she is a guest vocalist on this outstanding country album by a group called The High Women. And The High Women are a super group of awesome country music women, including Amanda Shires, who we've uh, honored many times on this show. Yes. Maren Morris, Brandy Carlisle. Ms. Carlin. Bell. <laughs> Miss exactly right. Brandy, Brandy Carlisle, Maren Morris, they're, they're a great group. And Yola sings a guest verse on the title song from their album, The High Women. Um, and then she, Yola, was nominated for Best New Artist at the most recent Grammy Awards. And I had still not quite clocked who she was, having heard The High Women song. I still was like not really aware of who she was. But when she got that Best New Artist Grammy nomination, I thought, okay, let me check her out. And holy shit, am I glad that I did. And um, I will just give you a preview, Sarah. There are three things that I would like to discuss based on Yola's work. One is um, music that has an immediate and visceral impact on us. Two is the um, the relative value of doing retro sounds. And three is the location of the camp and the absurd inside of serious music. <laughs> Okay. Welcome to my lecture class. Um, papers will be due at the end. Um, but before we go any further, this is the song that Yola, um, for, I mean, relatively speaking, this is her hit. I mean, she doesn't really have any. She's not a very well-known artist, but she should be. But this is a song called Far Away Look. And this is a song that received some Grammy nominations as well. And I really like it. Here it is, Far Away Look by Yola. And if you're wondering where you've heard it before and you were a Veronica Mars season four watcher, this was in the finale. Nobody moves the way you do Walking round the grocery store Only you know what you look Walk the dark 
Leaves it all in the field, she does. Sarah, it doesn't matter how many times I listen to this song. Like you just said, her complete emotional commitment just floors me every single time. Yeah. It um it reminded me of um like a Petula Clark track yes. in the arrangement, but um the vocal is like <laughs> by by Petula. Yeah. <laughs> and it also reminded me of um that uh Gaga song that we discussed from um what's it? In the Shallow? Yes. Yes. It reminds me of Shallow um, in a big way in that, like, you can practically hear the atmosphere ionizing around her as she prepares to, like, lift that big (laughs) chorus. Like, it's, I mean, sometimes you just are like, is this necessarily craftsmanship? I mean, in my opinion, this is. But, like, sometimes you just, like, the belt is its own satisfaction. Yes, yes. I just think that... um. You've already hit on a lot of the things that I love about the song. One, it is so controlled. She just, in every single song on her brilliant album, Walk Through Fire, she is so clearly in control of everything, but the control doesn't sound um, arid or sterile. The way that, as we've talked about before, sometimes when she's not hitting quite right, Linda Ronstadt's extreme control can come at the sacrifice of a visceral experience. Right. But Yola in her album never sacrifices feeling. It's like the control is the pathway to feeling. And and it's not, it's not oversung. Like, yes, this is actually a really difficult needle to thread in the case of this particular arrangement because she is in full voice and she's competing with like a, like a full orchestral suite but it's it's not oversung somehow like you want to try that at home because i'm not going to be able to do that (laughs) yeah seriously like it's it's she you're so right about the patula clark arrangement it's like that dusty springfield um yes shirley bassey like all of Uh that and but it's like she is only hitting those notes and making those sounds because that's what this type of music demands. And it, it because it's so intellectually sensible to sing those big notes, it's like she doesn't feel like she's trying to compete with or show off against the sound. It's right. just she's just going where the song needs to go. And I think that uh, if, listeners, you were to dig into her album, you would be perhaps even more excited by these moments because she is also able to sing with great restraint. There's a song called Ride Out in the Country and another called Shady Grove. They're both just full of restraint. And um, one of this, uh, the song Ride Out in the Country is like the feeling of I love you so much, but I just realized it and I'm afraid to tell you. And just the, the she doesn't, she barely um, hits any big notes at all because you can't in that moment of storytelling. And so her narrative skill uh, is just thrilling and it makes me trust her when she makes big vocal choices like she does in Far Away Look. Yeah, I actually, um, right after listening to this, listened to her cover of a song that we talked about a few episodes ago, um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And at first, like having listened to Far Away Look first, this interpretation was not... 
I wasn't plugging into it. Mm-hmm. So I listened to it again and she she does go where the song takes her. That's an excellent way to put it because once you sort of acknowledge that like what you sometimes as a listener or like consumer of pop music, you're like, well, I just heard this song and I know this version of this other song. So what I want from this artist on this song is X. Mm. And then when you get like Y or Z instead, you're like, I want X. <laughs> and then you just have to be like, oh, what I <laughs> like, that's that's not what the song is telling her to do. And also shut up, Sarah, you can't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> But it's, I, I would recommend seeking that out. I didn't clip it, but the the interpretation, like at first, maybe you're going to feel like pushed against by it or like, I don't know, it's like in your space and you're like, no, this isn't, no, I'm not interested in this. And then you're like, okay. Yeah. I think that's actually a great way of describing it because honestly, I had the same response too when I first heard her cover of that song, which is. Added, which was recently added to her album as a bonus track. So if you get her album now or you stream it, you will be able to have access to that cover. And right. it's like she's just – she's faithful enough to the Elton John version that you're like, this is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. But then she does all these – then she does just enough different things that you're like, but this isn't Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And it, yeah. just, it does – like, it, it takes a minute yeah. to comprehend what she's changed, I guess. Yeah, and there's some like tonal choices that because that's not what, especially if you have just listened to something else by Yola. Yeah, that if yeah, you were yeah. and far away look in particular, that you're kind of like, I don't feel like you are invested as much in this track. But that's not the case. It's more that she's not invested in it in the same way, and because the arrangement is so different. Da da da. da like, I, I mean, I think it's really good in the end. But I also think part of that is like me being forced to like get out of the mast ass headspace and just listen to what is actually there versus what I was hoping for. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I feel like is always difficult for a critic to remember. I say this as a critic myself, you have to review the actual thing, not the thing that you wanted or thought that you wanted well, it, yeah, exactly. It, it happens so much with theater, too, where I sometimes will find myself, if I'm reviewing a play or a TV show or literally anything that I've ever reviewed, I will sometimes feel like I wanted it to be this. Like you said, I wanted X and I got Y. And then you just have to take that moment where you're like, but what do I think of Y? I didn't get X, but what do I think of Y instead? Yeah. That's what always bugged me about like Transformers reviews that were like, well, Megan Fox is no Meryl Streep. It's like, you know what? It's not like Meryl Streep doesn't fucking work. You want to watch Meryl Streep? Go find a rent Meryl, Meryl Streep movie. Yeah, and if you want to see her be in a dumb action movie, rent the River Wild. She did that. Yeah. Um. It, okay, I now have to bring up Goethe's three questions for critics. It just, y'all, it just has to happen now. Um. Are you familiar with these, by the way? Yes. So for those of you who are not, Goethe suggested that critics ask themselves three questions when assessing a work of art. Question one, what is it trying to achieve? Question two, how well does it achieve what it was trying to achieve? Question three, should it have tried to achieve this in the first place? And the importance of the hierarchy of those questions is that your opinion as a critic doesn't show up until number three, or really number two, but um, the first thing you're supposed to ask is not, do I like it or not? More just, what the fuck is it? And I think that's a nice um, 
humbling thing to remember that our uh, the first job of any of us, whether we are professional critics or just people listening to things or experiencing things as audience members, our emotional and intellectual responses to things are important, but they have to be filtered through an attempt to understand what the artist was trying to do. And that deepens our relationship to the work and ultimately deepens our relationship to ourselves, I think, because it creates a certain type of aesthetic empathy and same. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also, you know, it's easy to sort of get in a space as a critic where when that's all you do all day, um, not that there's, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like you forget, you forget what your job is, which is to yes. assess for people, like, is this worth your time or not? So you you have to start from the place of what the work is trying to do and not be in it from this place of like, you know, what's my hook so that I can shit this out quickly yes. and make my deadline. Yes, which is sometimes what happens. But yeah, I just think, I also think that that's where the real skill of being a professional critic comes in. It is actually a skill to be able to assess artistic intent and then to articulate that intent in such a way that it feels in, interesting to a reader who is not perhaps experiencing the thing with you. And uh, that's where the skill comes in. Or likes different things from you, or is not particularly interested in you holding a Transformers picture to a, like, Coppola standard. So, Uh, But I think, actually, this makes a good segue into the central portion of our episode when we're talking about artistic intent, um, which is a music video analysis requested by a Patreon patron, George, do you want to talk a little more about that? Absolutely. So those of you who listened to last week's episode about the three versions of Always on My Mind may have clocked that George, because he is a patron at the Madonna level, was able to request a playlist from us. And he also gets to request a music video analysis. Now, there have been times that we have dropped those music video analyses on our Facebook page, but it just seems like more people can get in on the fun if we talk about the video here. And then we will post the video on Twitter and Facebook so that if you want to go check it out on social media with us, you can. Um, So George requested that we talk about Annie Lennox's video for the song Little Bird, which was the last single released from her debut solo album Diva, which came out in the early 90s and is a fucking flawless album from top to bottom, sidebar. We'll talk about that later. Um, But Uh, Before we talk about the music video, let's hear a clip of the song. This is Little Bird by Annie Lennox. So, Sarah, before we talk at all about this song, I need to take you back to 1993 when I was a precocious freshman in high school. Will you travel with me there? Sure. We had an assignment. Wearing green over-dyed jeans from The Gap. Sure. Actually, I was wearing what was uh, this brand of clothing at the time called Clean Clothes. They were super bright 
clothes that were made from recycled materials, and I loved their bright shorts. So I was almost certainly wearing some brightly colored shorts at this time. We had an assignment to do a report on mythology, and I decided to make mine a radio show where I played songs about the myths. Uh, so Zeus had called in to request, I can't get no satisfaction because you know, Zeus mm-hmm. is always fucking around. And the myth of Sykes and Alcyone who offend the gods by calling themselves Hera and Zeus during lovemaking and then get turned into birds later as a moment of pity before they get destroyed by the gods. I chose little bird because they got turned into birds. So I've always thought about this song as being part of a really fun high school project. I'm a nerd. Thank you and good night. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I have, there's nothing more to say about that. I just felt like the world needed to know. Um, so the music video for Little Bird, had you seen it before uh, this, this uh, analysis? I don't think so. Because this came out when I was a junior in college mm-hmm. and my relationship with TV was fond but distant at mm-hmm. that time. So I There were no DVRs at the time either. You couldn't yeah, catch up I what you missed. I don't think I saw this. I mean, we were pretty faithful watchers of 120 minutes, but I don't think this factored into Yeah, she was that. too mainstream at that point. I, however, because I was a freshman in high school, had nothing but time to watch MTV. I don't know how I had so much time to watch MTV, but I did. So, listeners, for those of you who have, don't know, this video features Annie Lennox uh, dressed as a um, a cabaret MC. She's basically wearing a tux top hat, and she is on a stage surrounded by other people dressed as versions of her from earlier music videos. That includes the other videos from this album, uh, the videos for Why, Walking on Broken Glass, Precious, but also includes a lot of her Eurythmics videos. There are people who are copying her looks from Sweet Dreams and Would I Lie to You and Who's That Girl and all that. And it's part of a tradition of music videos where artists are surrounded by avatars of their own uh, other by, by, by their own avatars. Gloria Estefan has a video for the song uh, Everlasting Love where all we see are drag queens playing video versions of Gloria Estefan. And there is a young Raja in that video, by the way, a little baby Raja, but there's like Queens dressed up like Gloria Estefan. There is um, uh, at the end of the video for look what you made me do. Taylor Swift uh, argues with various versions of herself from past videos. Prince in the video for seven um, sees a lot of his previous video selves trapped inside these glass tubes and of course, in a different way, George Michael blows up all of the avatars of his previous era of fame in the video for Freedom 90, which we talked about with Tara 500 episodes ago. Um, so <laughs> this is part of a long tradition of taking on your own image in music video form. And I wonder, Sarah, how you felt about Annie Lennox's take on this approach. I liked that. I mean, this is someone who has never been afraid to kind of link arms with things that she has done in her past, and she doesn't feel the need to like repudiate older projects, um, that she's taking strength from the good and bad parts of past personae. Um, And I, I think that that element is very clear in the video, and it it matches up with the lyrics. With that said, there's something a little disappointing about the execution after the first like 45 seconds or a minute 
mm-hmm. once it becomes clear what the like what the hook is and what kind of video like what genre it belongs to which you were just talking about it's like it doesn't push hard enough on it or i guess it's more that i expect more from annie lennox mm. like cognitively i don't know exactly how to put this and it's not like i'm you know gonna write an angry letter to the editor about having to watch this video it's fine and it's a the song's a banger and i'm i'm not mad but it's like it doesn't push hard enough on this idea that i don't know that um you are you are always all of yourselves Mm mm-hmm and like visually, it just is like a little bit shortcutty and cheap about that. And it does seem like, I mean, I don't know her life. I don't know who directed this. I don't know what the budget was. I don't know anything. I'm just some fucking guy who has opinions. But I I wanted more about that concept. And I wanted, I guess I wanted it to... Um, like shine a brighter light. And that's another thing. This it's lit. It's lit unflatteringly a little bit, in my opinion, maybe that's intentional. Maybe that's like a production note, but uh, like in particular, the way that women pop artists um, always have to live with every single thing they've ever done. Usually only the bad stuff forever. Um, And I kind of like I don't think this song has a like dark enough heart to necessarily you know take that on in the video but this I mean it just felt a little like I don't know razzle dazzle like here's here's me from sweet dreams are made of this get it wink wink and then it was it just was a runway show and I'm like I don't know you could have done more with this yeah I think that I have no idea if this has any bearing on why the video doesn't really have a storyline, but I know that she was pregnant when she shot this. Oh, all right. So, well, then everything I just said is bullshit. So, <laughs> but but I still think all of those other people who are playing the other Annies, I did find myself wishing it would go a little bit further with like, okay, they're all here, they're all kind of fighting. It's comic. They're fighting in a campy way, and then what? But okay, I mean, yeah, I'm not sorry to have seen it, but. I, the video for Walking on Broken Glass is still my favorite Annie Lennox video of this period when John yeah, Malkovich sure. when she and John Malkovich are like having a dangerous liaisons style romance. Oh my god, it's so good. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's like this is video five off of that album, and it's like I'm pregnant, leave me alone. But it's like a it's a nice concept that interestingly was I think executed better by most of the other artists that I mentioned. But Annie got yeah. there first, for at least in this group of those videos that I can think of. Um, like Gloria Estefan was also pregnant during the everlasting love video and she doesn't even appear in it. So that's why it's just all the Queens, but there's just like the, the, um, escalating sense of chaotic fun in that video is really enjoyable to watch. And Prince eventually destroys all of his other avatars in those little tubes in the video for seven. So, you know, but still Annie, Good on you. You got you got the ball rolling, and it's always nice to hear that song. So, George, thank you very much for encouraging us to think about talk about this video. And listeners, if you would like a playlist or if you would like a video discussed on the show, just join us at Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash/Mastus. But uh, now I think it's time to talk a little bit more about Ms. Yola <laughs> or Ms. La. That's right, Ms. <laughs> <Just> La. <kidding. laughs> 
So another thing I just wanted to bring up, and I don't know how deeply we need to dive into this, but I love in Far Away Look, there is something absurd about the lyrics to this song. It, it is essentially a song about a guy who is emotionally withdrawn and who seems to be carrying his silent pain with him everywhere. I think we all know men and women, but somehow especially men like this who just disconnect. But the way that she describes it in both verses is so mundane as to almost be comical to me against the grandiosity of the sound of the song. In the first verse, they're at a backyard birthday party, and she's like, you light the candles on the cake, but we don't really think you're celebrating. And in the second verse, the one that we heard, you're moving around the grocery store real sad. And it's just like the thought of someone morosely picking up fish sticks. <laughs> it's just very funny to me. <laughs> He's just like standing there in front, like being all emo in front of the low sodium V8. <laughs> She's like, we get it. You said. Or it's like, as you were saying on Twitter about how much you hate Roman meal bread. It's just like, <laughs> I guess I'll just get Roman meal bread. That's all I'm good for. Don't you just have cinnamon with no fucking raisins? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but it I is just... my lot to suffer with toast. <laughs> toast. Toast. I'd like to propose a toast <laughs> to my depression. So I just think like it, it takes a certain But mock- I think she's aware of that, too, because right after that grocery store lyric, she's like, and then you walk the dark home and invite it in, right? Yep, yep. Like, yeah. that's, I mean, all of a sudden, we're at this, like, 17th century folkloric, yeah. this is how the will of the wisp led my, all of my ancestors to their death's place after <laughs> just being at the Piggly Wiggly, like, <laughs> but she, she knows, and- Part of the chorus, I think, is not... Part of the chorus is sadness for him, but part of it is like, fucking snap out of it already. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that... Weren't you just using double coupons on tuna salad, and now now you've brought this demon into my house? Yeah, but then one of them expired, and now you're being a fucking pill. Like, if we're gonna break up, just do it. I am so sick of your shit. Like, some of it is really like it's so hard to be with this withholding person. Yes. But part of it is like, Oh God. And, <laughs> and I, I love that. I think it just, it takes a lot of moxie to put all of that into this song. And it takes a lot of skill to pull it off because yeah. Um, to at the same time that you are wailing your like grief at the fact that this relationship is broken because this person is not capable you are also sneaking an eye roll emoji into the lyrics. Like that's a pretty high degree of difficulty and I fully respect it. Because life is complex and we can carry both things with us at once. I, we all contain multitudes now, of toast we, and emojis. And fish sticks. Yeah. Wasn't it on television without pity back in the day where Gwyneth Paltrow's nickname was fish stick? Um, Maybe. Somebody on TWAP forums used to be called Fish Stick. I don't remember who it was. Anyway, that's... I think it was Gwynny, and I think that was a um, Can You Strip to This His Own Pamela Ribbon coinage, but I forget the um, I forget the derivation. So, listeners, if any of you remembers that far back, slash has the receipts, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> 
Um, before we head out of this conversation, I also just wanted to bring up another thing about Yola. Well, I've touched on it already. It's that she has facility in multiple genres. And I just thought another song would be worth hearing to articulate that point uh, even further. So this is another fantastic song on her album that just takes a very different approach. Uh, it's called I Don't Wanna Lie. Since we got a moment to talk Why don't we just sit right Sarah, I just feel like we've now gone from Petula Clark in the 60s to, honestly, maybe Dolly Parton in the 70s. There's like- I was going to say Tracy Chapman in the 90s, and ironically, that's why I didn't like this one that much. Okay. I mean, maybe I need to give it a third or fourth listen, but there's just something about... It's not her. It's not her um, songcraft. It's like there's something about the arrangement that I find kind of like quotidian, like low fat chips commercial mid nineties <laughs> cheesy. <laughs> so you're not going to be the hugest fan of "Give Me One Reason" by Tracy Chapman, is? What I mean, I actually love that song, oh, well, but okay, like good. we already it's, have I, that song. That's true. I do love that song too. <laughs> yeah, like, Ooh, look, I'm God. a basic, but <laughs> not every minute. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, that, the clip that you played this time hearing it, I felt a more, um, uh, more like a stoner soul, Sly and the Family Stone energy coming off it. But there's just something about this that, like, she doesn't seem as, she doesn't seem as interested. Mm in the story so i'm not as interested mm, fair enough well I, I could be wrong but i would be interested to know I, in all of your free time if you have a chance and to hear her entire album i would yeah. be interested to know what you think of the various musical journeys that she takes you on because um I, if you like her sort of generally and you've now heard obviously at least three of her songs because also the cover um, I would just be fascinated to know what you think about some of the other flavors on her record. And uh, listeners, too, I would love to hear your thoughts on her because I think that she's someone who just rewards uh, going back to that well. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, appreciate, Sarah, the chance to talk to you about someone who's a little more obscure. But I think it's nice that every now and then we will bring up something on the show that is a little less known because there's shit to say. Yeah. Well, and what I'd really like is for her to come on here and just like, I don't know, all three of us get stoned and talk about her process with some of this stuff. Cause I don't know that there's something about like, you know, you, you hear how something is interpreted, but without the skill to like do it myself, it's right. like, 
well, now I want you to tell me what you were thinking. And for a lot of artists, they're like, I was thinking about cashing the check. Anything else? <laughs> but I do not get that sense from Yola. So I would be super interested to know, like, what is her background? How did she get to this place? Why is she choosing these lanes and stuff like that? So Totally. I was thinking about cashing a check because the fish sticks don't pay for themselves. No, they really don't. And, like, I got to pay someone to pick every raisin out of the cinnamon raisin bread. Toast. Toast. <laughs> <laughs> it just becomes a tone poem. The last, let's just take fifteen minutes now uh, of to just. Say this is going to be Fiona Alba, Apple's next release. <laughs> toast, 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 <laughs> and then you yeah, hear here's the my dog of, asking for toast. I was going to say you hear a dog eating toast. Just the sound of a piece of toast hitting the ground. <laughs> You know, just just yesterday, I was taking a frozen loaf of bread out of the freezer, and it broke through the bottom of the bag and landed on my toe rather painfully. And so it was death by toast almost yesterday. So I get it, Fiona. Your toy balloon has sailed in the sky. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.